Well, good morning. Some of you don't know me. I'm an elder at the church. I'm anxious to bring forth the word of God. And Skip, would you put up the, uh, the first picture there? Now, what do we got here? I think I'm going to be talking about a barbed wire. No, it's boundaries. <laughs> boundaries. Where are your boundaries? <laughs> I think of having a surveyor come and doing my property when I moved in. It cost me $1,900 to find out my boundaries. And I paid it gladly. We find out there are boundaries and everything. My next door neighbor's boundaries. The boundaries that well, Obama placed in the sand. <laughs> you can't go over that boundary. You can't go over that boundary. All kinds of boundaries. And with that come responsibilities. Well, see, these are physical boundaries. The boundaries that we have really kind of tell people, this belongs to me, that doesn't belong to me, I can't go over here, uh, I shouldn't go over here, all these kind of things. But most of these things are physical boundaries. And with the physical boundaries, well, like my home, my car, anything. How do we usually describe that? My home, my car. The bank owns my home, let's face it, <laughs> quite honestly. I've got boundaries right here. The boundary is at the edge here. If I go to the edge and fall off, I'll break my neck. Wait a minute, who said do it? <laughs> <laughs> but we all have boundaries. But they're physical boundaries. The things I want to talk about today are what the boundaries that really count. Spiritual boundaries. What keeps us reined in? How do we go according to God's word? And how do we use God's word as boundaries? See, the boundaries isn't to keep us uh, from going on the outside. It's keeping the outside from getting to the inside. That's what it's all about. So, Skip, could you put up the uh, first scripture, please? Now, what we're talking about here Proper boundaries help believers keep out worldly influences. And it's 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? <clears throat> or what fellowship can light have with darkness? I use that example quite often. For you know when we come out of the darkness, the darkness still wants to follow us. There's darkness all around us from the past and wanting to get in and wanting you to be part of us. And of course, when we allow that to happen, it kind of draws us back. It's the old saying, birds of a feather stick together. If there was ever a true statement, that one is. <clears throat> Seems to be able to find each other. When I was the first Christian at another church, we had a big, I don't know, a conference, seminar, whatever. There were 40 or 50 people there. <clears throat> now, I was a new Christian. I found out in a matter of about three minutes, there was another Christian. How do you find those things out so fast? The same spirit. Now, all of those other 40 or 50 people, there was only one, and my heart picked him right out, and he, and he picked me out. How can that be done? <clears throat> only by the hand of God. So we find out that the worldly influences that try to get into our lives 
is exactly what God doesn't want that to happen. What has light got to do with darkness? What is righteousness to wickedness? <clears throat> These are words. How often do you call yourself wicked? <laughs> Come on. Be seriously. But sin is wicked. God calls it that. He calls the world wicked. But see, we use those euphemisms of, well, it's the world and it's uh, uh, all kinds of different things. Uh, funeral parlor is uh, not the undertaker. He's a director. Now, what's he directing? To take you under. But the <laughs> it's laughable, but it's the truth. <coughs> Excuse me. So we have euphemistic words to cover up the truth of what really is going on. But Jesus doesn't do that. <clears throat> He's very confrontational. He calls sin wicked. He says the outside world is wicked and wants to get in on the inside. Why is that so? Why would sin want to get on the inside where God is? So they can bring destruction. That's what it's all about. That's what the boundaries are all about. God has set a whole parameter of boundaries. Anyone think of a boundary? Think of the Ten Commandments. We'll start right off with that. That's a boundary. Do not do this. Do this. Don't do this. And why is that? Because God is so afraid we'll fall away. God is so afraid we're going to get burned. Here's my children. Don't go near that. Don't go near the edge. You're going to fall off. Don't put your hand on a hot stove. You're going to get burned. That's what it's all about. But we think that these boundaries that we have that are in here are much looser than the boundaries we have on the outside. Would you pay $1,900 today to keep one of those boundaries safe on the inside? You're saying, what's he talking about? Well, we do that for the physical. What's the price of keeping a boundary safe on the inside? That's the price. The word of God. That constantly is attesting to the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. Talking to my brother this morning. He says, don't say that. This is God. I says, yeah, how can I say one separates from the other? My brother and Jesus is inside of you. It's the truth. It's the, it's, it's the absolute truth. So the boundaries that these fences set shows us where we can be safe and when we can't. <clears throat> now the spiritual boundaries are a whole different ballgame. We think we can inch out, inch out into the unknown, someone else's property. Because we can't see a physical marking, but we can see a spiritual marking. But hey, come on, you're not going to go 100% like that. You're not going to be praying morning, noon, and night, are you? What's that all about anyway? I used to think I'd have to say, I'd have to say the Our Father, the Hail Mary, 24 hours a day in order to fulfill that. I had no idea what it meant. Your life and my life is all about Jesus. Now, am I going to the store? Yep. Well, how should I approach that? Hop in the car and go? Or say, Lord, be with me. Watch over what I spend. Take care of. Is that not a prayer? Is that not uh, communing with God? Can we not do that 24 hours a day? Absolutely. Why is that? Because we can always put God first. He's our boundary. And when we have the safety of that boundary, what can possibly get in? But thinking that I know better and I don't have to ask, uh, Joshua ran into that. 
when he went into AI after he didn't take care of business after Jericho with uh, the robbery that that took place. And he went to AI, a little hick town, uh, Ellesmere. And he sent 5,000 troops into Ellesmere. And guess what? The Ellesmereans defeated and killed 29 of them. How could that possibly be? Because God wasn't with them. They didn't take care of the business on the inside. There was thievery and robbery going on right in his own camp. He didn't ask God, should I go? He just went. And he got defeated. See, without the boundaries that we have in Christ, we are so easily defeated. We're not playing with fair odds here. You and me, without Christ, are actually trying to oppose the prince of darkness in every sense, in every direction, and he's had thousands of years of practice on how to get at us. What is our chance here? There isn't. And what do we need? We need a boundary. What is that boundary? Jesus Christ, the Bible, every word. So we find out that these boundaries here are for our safety. Skip, can you put up the next scripture, please? (coughs) Excuse me. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourselves in times of trouble? The arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts of the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. Why, do you, Lord, do you stand so far off? Because in his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak. That's us. Without Christ, we are weak. What is the song? We are weak, he is strong. It isn't the other way around. There isn't a man yet that can stand up to the prince of darkness. We need boundaries. We need to be kept in. We need to be corralled. We are the sheep of his pasture. What are we talking about here? A pasture isn't a big open field. It's all defined by fencing. And we are the sheep of his pasture. Go outside of that. And one did. And what did the Lord do? He left the 99 because they were in safety. And he searched out the one, which is far off, and he found it. <clears throat> we find in our own sin and our own selfishness, our own willingness to do what we want to do, finding ourselves far off from the pasture. So easy to do. And you know why it's so easy? Because we just don't leap. We just go, well, yeah, I'm okay. I just took that little step over the boundary. Nothing happened. Well, maybe I can take a little bit, walk around the uh, perimeter. Nothing happened. Hey, this is okay. And all of a sudden, the next day, you find out that there's someone after you because you went on uh, property you weren't uh, supposed to be on. See, the world outside, <clears throat> outside those parameters, that's the world. When we take one step outside of God's pasture, we are in the world, no matter how you count it, no matter how small it is, because... It's always incremental, always a very small step at first till we find out we can take another step. And then the self-will comes in, and I can do this. I can, I can do this, and I can do God, too. A dangerous situation, which we'll end up, I'll find out how exactly dangerous it is. <clears throat> so, could you put up 1918, Skip? 
for you folks that have little children, medium-sized children, or older children, where is he? <laughs> He's sinking down in his seat. <laughs> Discipline your son, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his, what? Death. Would I ever be a willing party to my son's, my daughter's death? Not willingly, no. But step outside of the parameters of the boundaries God has set. And I'm allowing my child to be in death. <clears throat> we see what God has to say about raising the child. <clears throat> Watching over a child as he get over, he'll not depart from the word. <clears throat> well, that may, that may be true. It probably is true. It is true in my case here. But the thing of it is, what does the world say about raising a child? If we raised our child, and when we raise our child, according to scripture, we could be arrested. Do not spare the rod. Whoa. Have a psychologist deal with that one. All over the years, I did not spare the rod. Some more, some less on others. But the imprint of sanctification was well felt. <laughs> Now, why would I do that? Well, I have to confess, in the days before I was Christian, I did it because I was offended by what they did. When I became a Christian, I used the hand a lot less, but I still used it. But Christ was offended by what they did. And I wanted to bring the point home as hard as I could to bring that about. But see, I would be arrested for doing it. The things we do, and I've told Frank this, and I've said this for years, Someday, in the near future, me, Jeff, Frank, someone will come into this church and arrest us. Take us right off the pulpit. Because the world says, you can't do this. You can't tell people to raise their children like this. This is so anti-world, anti-society. And we would be put into prison for the teachings we're going to be doing and continue to do. Standing on the street corners. You know, we get a lot of hoots and people waving. But anyone that's been on the corner found out there are other people. There are others that swear and curse using four-letter words. Hating Jesus. Hating the name. We're doing nothing but standing there with the name of Jesus. Hating it. Because that has just now bought them before. They've only got two ways they can deal with this. Accept it or fight against it. And to fight against it, They have to say, you're evil, I'm good. And what does the first chapter of Romans say? Black will be white, white will be black. The day will come when evil is looking good. Holiness is sinful. That's what it's about. That shouldn't matter to us. God will keep us in his pasture. We'll be safe in there. And our children will be safe, most of all. I thought of... Raising children, we have five children, and for the first 17 years of our marriage, we weren't saved. So we had several children that came and grew up in an unsaved house. I look back on that, and I saw they they went their own way. And why did they go their own way? That was my doing. I didn't bring Jesus into the life early. I didn't show them the way to go. I didn't set parameters. I didn't set boundaries. 
They had their own friends. Some of them were disastrous friends. Should I have stopped it? Well, how am I going to stop that? I asked my, <clears throat> my sister. She says, you've got to stop him or her going around with these people. Well, how do you do that? See, the problem was too little, too late. Too little, too late. How do you tell a druggie when he's so hopped up on heroin, say, you shouldn't do that the next time? Come on. <laughs> Come on. You're talking to the air. You're talking to the wind. It's too late. And for all of you now, whether you have little children, big children, older children, bringing the word of God to them is never too late. When they get older, they'll not turn from it. When that's going to be, a lot of you like to see we're living in a society where we want now. Well, sometimes that doesn't work so well. But in other times, it works perfectly. And we find out, I don't know about your children, but all of my children at one time or another accepted Jesus Christ through pain, agony, tribulation, trials, the whole thing. <clears throat> Tell me a story and I probably can match it. We can go one-upsmanship all night long. But it doesn't change the fact that I should have started earlier and I didn't. And what was I to start earlier with? Boundaries. Where are their boundaries? And since I didn't have any myself, and here's the problem. If we don't have boundaries ourselves, what do we expect of our children? <clears throat> if I put a movie on, that's PG, by the way. PG is the old R. And if you think that's wrong, get an old P, get an old R, and then match it against a new PG. No difference whatsoever. And we allow that to go into our home, filling our home, not with Jesus, but actually with Satan. I'm going to call it what it is, filling it with Satan, and allowing our children. Now you can say, well, I'm older. That's not going to affect me. That may be so. That's wrong, but it may be so. But it's certainly going to affect the one that you're allowed to sit there and watch it with you, saying to them, well, gee, my dad and mom watches it. Can't be that bad. Why can't I do that? We have not set a boundary. And when we don't set the boundary, then we run into all kinds of problems as the kids grow. <clears throat> the best part about that, or worst part, best part, whatever you want to call it, it's never too late to bring the name of Jesus into the situation. And with that, we can watch the name of Jesus start to boil and turn and turn into something that Satan hates. It turns into someone that gives their life over to Christ. So that's with children. We have communion today, so I want to quickly go through this. So Skip, would you put up the uh, <clears throat> Luke sixteen thirteen? This is the challenge. And here it comes. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money or serve God in the world. And what I was talking about, going beyond, beyond the boundary, stepping out, stepping out, stepping out. <clears throat> Hold on to your pants here. Because if you do that, it's saying you hate God. <laughs> what? 
That brings tears to my eyes to even say that. We never think of things like that. We never think of the ultimate end result of our action. We always think of the action as being something very simple that I can turn back from. But here it says, you'll you'll love one and despise the other. I don't see any other way of talking about this. I had a business, and when I had the business, I came to Christ. Now the business, as far as I was concerned, was a good, strong printing business, and things went well. Probably doing some of the things I shouldn't have done. Like in business, you do things and compromise. But the less I I compromise, the worse the business got. What's that all about? Because the business belonged to the world, and I belonged to Christ. Well, the long and short of it was, I finally was able to get rid of the business to another company and get out of there without going completely bankrupt because I could not serve the two. I learned a tremendous lesson here. You have to give up one, and don't you think that was not easy? I loved that. I, not the business. I loved the money, and the business meant money. <clears throat> When I was a pastor, I'd make all kinds of money. <laughs> That's Frank's joke. <laughs> you learn to live differently. You learn to live a, a godly style. And sometimes we say, well, don't you wish, and people ask, don't you wish you still had some of those things? And quite honestly, looking back, yeah, that was nice. That was really nice. Poor kid from the South End that had more money than he knew what to do with. That, was, that seemed to be nice. <clears throat> but it was leading me to hell. Now how nice can that be? When we step out into the world, it leads you to hell. Again, so slow and so incremental that you can't even see it. Till all of a sudden you're in it. And then you find out, how do I get back? Psalm 119, a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path. What happens when you leave that light? Well, sometimes you're only a little bit away. You can jump right back on. But I look at that light path as being the road down the center. And going to the left is a lot of twists and turns. And as you march through those twists and turns, sometimes you can't find your way back. Can you imagine not being able to find your way back to Christ? Can you even think of this? I'm talking about boundaries here. Take those boundaries off. That's where you could be. I got some of the brothers here that came. They lost their way, but they found a way back. Praise God for that. But they're no different than you or I. They just chose a different path. But the best part about it, they're all here. (laughs) They're all here. They found out that the boundaries they were following was leading to destruction, loss of family, loss of positions, loss of everything that they held dear and they thought they could hold on to was destroyed for one simple thing, changing the boundaries. Moving, it talks about in in Old Testament, Numbers, Deuteronomy, don't move the boundary stones. Don't move them. Why is that? Because all of a sudden, you think you're safe by moving them and all you did was move them into the world. That's what it's all about. So I have to tell you right now that it's not about Bob Wire. Bob Wire is for concentration camps. Boundaries, on the other hand, is for safety, for your safety, to keep what's out there 
outside those doors, away from what's inside these doors. We want them in. We don't want to be out there. And why is that? Because you can't serve two masters. And listen again as we end here. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other. And you imagine someone saying, do you hate God? And you have to answer yes. What a terrible, terrible testimony that would be. Hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I have to ask you, and I'm not going to, but I'm going to ask the question, but you can do this mentally. If you love God, raise your hand, not mentally. And if you hate Satan, raise your hand. Well, then why do you sin? Why do you go outside the boundaries? Why do you leave the pasture that God has set? He wants you safe in there. He wants your children safe. He wants your home safe. He wants everything. He has died on the cross to bring that safety. And when we cross it over, what's that one word there? Hate. Despise. Who would ever say that in their heart that knows Jesus? But when we do these things and cross the boundaries, bingo, there it is. So I have to bring forth the word of God to you. And sometimes hard, sometimes easy, nevertheless true. I do that in counseling. I can sit in the counseling chair, and some of the hardest things I've ever said to some people, they look at me with their eyes spinning. I says, I know what you're thinking. He's sitting over there, and we have to do it. It doesn't change the truth. <laughs> That's the best part. It doesn't change the truth. Yes, you have to do it. Why? Because you got out there, and you crossed the boundaries. Now you have to come back in. So for all those that have crossed the boundaries this morning, we're having communion in a few minutes. I'm going to have reflection. Ask the Lord for forgiveness for that. Say, Lord, I don't want to be the one that has left it fold. I don't, even in a small way, if I have to change something at the house, Lord, let it be done. Let your name be glorified. You know, it won't be easy the first two or three days. But the fourth day, it's like the Times Union. I used to read it every day. One week without it, doesn't even matter. Satan tries to get it in your mind. You need it. You need to have this. It's like a drug. It's a lie. It's not a drug. It's a lie. So when we reflect on communion, think about these things we're talking about this morning. But you too, if you cross the line, well, then you can come back in. And lastly, if those that are out there that are so far removed from the pasture, I have to say, welcome, welcome, come on in, come on in, taste the fruit, see what the Lord, taste how good the Lord is. That's why we have communion. So we have an opportunity to share Jesus. So with all these things being said and done, I have the music, and Skip, could you put on before we have communion? Uh, A week ago this past Friday, we had a Passover Seder here in which really tied that Last Supper together with with the Passover meal. And that took us about three hours or so to go through that whole uh, Passover meal and the the teaching. So I I hope none of you left a roast in the oven. We're going to be here a while. I'm kidding. I got it. Yeah. All right. 
Eh, not so good. Yeah. Thanks for your support. As part of the uh, Passover Seder, there are several, uh, several things that are done that Jesus would have done with his disciples. And I was reflecting on that this morning, preparing for communion, and I just wanted to share a part of that and, and bring that this morning. In John 13, we uh, see this incredible picture of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. I love Peter's response. He exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. This was a time of the Passover Seder where there was a ritual known as urchatz, the ritual cleansing of one's hands to be clean to perform the rest of the Passover meal, lead out in the rest of the Passover Seder. And Jesus did something incredible here because he made it clear that the ritual isn't what makes you clean. Jesus made it clear he stepped down, he knelt down, he became ritually unclean, and then said to Peter, unless I wash you, you won't be clean. It's not the ritual that cleanses us. We see that in Mark's account, as they were eating, Jesus took some bread and he blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this, this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they all drank. And he said to them, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Here's something that's really incredible to me as I reflected upon this. He was sharing this first Lord's Supper, this first communion with his 12 disciples. One who would betray him that very evening. One who would deny him three times before the sun rose and 10 who would flee in fear and hide 
And yet, he offered them communion. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. So often we come into church and we pull into the parking lot and feel somehow as if we get onto the church property and we open the doors that our entire lives become easy and that everything is fixed. And it's not. Our lives are messy and difficult. And I'm sorry that we as a church try to put a buff on it and wrap it in a nice bow and make it seem like everything's okay. Jesus knew what his disciples were going to do. He knew what Judas was going to do. And yet it was his love for them and his love for us that he offered as a tremendous sacrifice. It's okay if things are a mess this morning. It's okay if you're hurting. It's okay if you're confused. It's okay if you're questioning things. Jesus still wants to offer himself to you. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed. Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. The interesting thing is, is that the disciples had not received the Holy Spirit at that first communion. We, if we confess our faith in the Lord, we have. And so what Paul is talking about here is if we receive the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit is Jesus inside of us. And we don't want to come and proclaim Jesus' death until he comes again in an unworthy manner. And as Paul said, as, uh, excuse me, as Tom said, This morning, we're going to take a moment. We're going to examine our hearts and just come before the Lord. It's okay if we're struggling. Lay it before the Lord's feet. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you this morning. We come with a great desire in our hearts to experience you. 
Some of us come with great anticipation. Some of us come with fear and trembling. Some of us come unsure. But Father, we come to you. And Lord, you call us to come. Your arms are wide open and you want to receive us this morning. Father, I thank you for each one who is here this morning. Father, there are no mistakes. You are the one who drew them and you drew them for your purpose. And so, Father, for those of us who have proclaimed you as our Lord and Savior, Father, I just ask that whatever is in darkness had come to light, that it would lay at your feet knowing that you are a good, a gracious, and a loving God. You are a forgiving God. And you are a God who wants us whole. You are a God who wants us new. You are a God who wants us to be well. Let wellness flow this morning. And Father, there may be some here this morning, I know that there are, who have not proclaimed their faith in you. Father, let this be the morning of salvation. I know, Lord, I know, Holy Spirit, you are moving in this room. And Holy Spirit, you are lifting Jesus on high and you are proclaiming his goodness. And I just ask that hearts would open wide that even now, Lord, there is somebody who's surrendering their life to you. Lord, we just thank you for your incredible sacrifice on the cross. We thank you even more, Father, for that resurrection. And we thank you most of all that we become vessels of Christ, that we can receive the Holy Spirit. And it's Christ who lives in us. And we just give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at uh, Bethlehem Community Church, we practice what's known as open communion. And if you have confessed your faith, you've placed your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, then please take a bit of the matzah and a cup as it passes by. If not, that's okay. You can just pass it by. If you have surrendered this morning, take that communion receive Jesus not only the representation of his body and his blood in the matzah and in the juice but receive him fully into yourself scripture says that Jesus took a piece of matzah and he gave thanks for it he would have said baruch Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who provides the bread of life. Jesus is that bread of life.